Welcome back to the Hypno Toad Podcast on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. Got a lot to get into today after a uh, embarrassing loss to Iowa State on Saturday. Where do the Frogs go from here? What does that mean for uh, BYU this weekend? All of that and more. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and of course, uh, some of the ugly, ugly mess that we saw on Saturday. But first, got to remind you to subscribe, rate, review the podcast wherever you get this Hypno Toad podcast that we are building over here, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, please, 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 please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us build the brand. I read some of those reviews sometimes. I read some of the ratings sometimes. And, uh, you know, a lot of you write some nice things. Some of you, some not so nice things. Let's clean that up, okay? All right, let's get into it. So a loss to Iowa State in Ames on Saturday makes it eight years since the last time TCU has won in Ames, which is hard to believe. A 27-14 loss, and it shouldn't have been that close. I'll be completely honest with you. Four turnovers by this offense. It should not have been that close. Iowa State was the better team from the jump. TCU looked lost. It looked like a carryover from last week's loss to WVU. But this time, we took the show on the road. And the real question right now among the fan base is, is this what rock bottom feels like? And I'm hoping so. I'm hoping there's not another level to this. And I want to talk about that a little bit later when we uh, kind of dig in a little bit deeper. It's the second straight loss for TCU. They haven't won a game in Ames since 2015, which means when they go back in 2025, which is the next scheduled time that they're going to go to Ames to play uh, Iowa State, depending on if you know the entire conference collapses or not. But with realignment, I don't imagine that that'll happen. I think that 2025, we're pretty safe. That'll be the next time that TCU plays at Ames. It'll be 10 years. <laughs> It'll be 10 years since the last time TCU beat the Cyclones at their place, which is hard to believe. Consider- considering that, I have thought TCU to be the better team most of the years. These two teams, teams have faced off. And the loss on Saturday is no different. I thought TCU, if you listen to the podcast last week, I said I, I thought TCU was going to come in and, and get the job done. In fact, they should have come in and got the job done on paper. This still, to me, is the best team or one of the best teams in the conference. But now at 3-3, three and three, your chances to go back to the playoffs are essentially extinguished. They're not. The playoffs are done. The odds of TCU winning the Big 12, those odds have substantially increased there, there's really, I don't see a world where, unless something happens to Oklahoma and Texas, I don't see a world where this TCU team is competing at the end of the year for a conference title, which is a failure across the board. And we're going to blame some people. We're going to point some fingers here in a minute. But I want to talk about the good first, because there are two big things, I think, that are a, that are wins out of this game. Imani Bailey is legitimately the best running back TCU has had. With the offensive line, like I, I think that if you put him on last year's team, I think that he would outshine most of that most of that running back room. Like if he played this way last year, he would be the second best running back, maybe behind Condre Miller. And I think even then, it would have been a, to- a coin toss between the two. He has played outstanding. It's his second 100 plus yard rushing game this year. It's his highest rushing total since week one, 152 yards. Now, granted, he did not get into the end zone. But with the way the offensive line has been playing, with the way that this offense has been called, which hinting who we're putting a little bit of this blame on, 
He has looked like legitimately the MVP of this team, which is hard to believe because before the season, I wouldn't have even had him in the top five of guys who I thought were going to be MVP candidates for the Horned Frogs. I, I just did not think he would be on the field enough with Trey Sanders. I, I thought there was a real shot here that it would be a running back by committee. I thought Chandler Morris had a good eye, a good shot to take a step, play the type of game that we expect from expected from him before the season. Um, but that has not been the case. He was explosive. He ran with patience and vision. He ran hard. Uh, and the performance around him, when you consider that your quarterback's giving the ball up all the time, he looked good. I, I would go on the line and say I think he's the only bright spot for this offense through the first five, six weeks. Five, six weeks, I think he's the only lone bright spot that I can point to and say, okay, this kid every single week has shown up to work and played and competed, which is not a good thing. Great for him. For the rest of the team, that's indictment. Then the other thing is this defense. To only allow 27 points when two of those turnovers came with really good field position for the Cyclones. Really good field position for the Cyclones, for Iowa State to get the ball back and have a chance to do something. For him to, to for the defense to only allow twenty seven points, to me, you got to chalk that as a win. You got to chalk that up as a win. Um, and I look, I don't believe in moral victories. I never have been the type of person who's looking for silver linings. I've never been the type of person that after a loss we're circling back and being like, "Well, we did this right and this right." Because TCU's too good for that. This isn't Kansas. This isn't Vanderbilt. Okay, this 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 isn't a program who's historically has struggled. This historically is a program who has succeeded at pretty much every level they've played at, whether it be the Big 12 or the Mountain West. They have consistently shown up in my lifetime and played very competitive football. And when they haven't played competitive football, when they have had a 5-7 and seven season, the next year it was a, it was a big difference. And most of the time when they struggled, there was injuries, there was other things wrong. But with this team... Well, this is where we're going to shift into the bad here. I think it might be a heart problem. I think it might be a heart problem. So, bad. Iowa State rushed for 215 yards and two TDs, which is not good. Like I said, the defense played well. They did play well. I do chalk it up as a win. Bad Iowa State rushed for over 200 yards. Worse, that they put up 38 yards on the ground and averaged a yard and a half a carry against Iowa, Ohio, and then... They come to T or TCU comes to town and they're running through them like a hot knife through butter. That's a problem. Ohio they averaged 1.7 yards per carry against TCU. They averaged almost six yards per carry. Uh, that was bad. That's not good. The run defense for TCU this season has not been good. It's something that they have not been able to solve. I said maybe it's the three three five. Watching that game, I don't think it was a three three five. I think I was. Offensive lineman, Iowa State's offensive lineman just had better leverage. I, I do believe that there is something to be said there when your offensive line is just more physical than the defensive line. That's not to say TC's defensive line is a bunch of scrubs. I think they played well, but the leverage has been a problem. This defensive line is a problem for TCU. Uh, it's not the three three five. It's the guys who are in that system. So that's and that's disappointing because, like I said, I don't like to be the guy who's saying okay. It's this or this or this. In fact, nine times out of ten, I'll blame coaches before I blame players. This year, it's not the case. This year, it's it's the players. 
it's the players who are not executing the way they need to, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The offensive side of the ball is a completely different story, and that is where we're going to get into here because this is the biggest finger I have to point, and it's a very easy target. This is a very easy target because this is a guy who people already don't like. This is a target that everybody outside of the TCU uh, Horn Frog media, outside of Frogsville, outside of that like tight-knit circle, have been throwing shots at this kid, have been throwing shots at this guy. He's not a kid. He's a grown man. I've been throwing shots at this man for a while. And Ken Abraham's offensive game calling through the first six weeks, abysmal. Uh, questionable. And you think back to Garrett Riley last year and the play calling and the ingenuity and, uh, and everything else. And I said when he left to Clemson, I said that's going to be a hard job to fill because he brought a lot to the table. I thought Sonny Dykes, I still think Sonny Dykes is one of the best coaches in in college football. I think he's one of the better head coaches in the state of Texas. Do I think he's the best head coach in the state of Texas? I take him before Jimbo. I'd put him in the same category as Sark. You saw what Sark did on Saturday against Oklahoma? I think Sonny Dykes in that position probably doesn't lose a game like that. But he's not in games like that. He's in games like in this one, in Ames, when his players are throwing to interceptions, when teams are turning the ball over, when the defensive line can't get a push and you're giving up 200 yards on the ground. In games like that, you need to take over the play calling because Kendall Browns is not cut up to it. This one-year experiment so far, not a passing grade. Not a passing grade. There's been shines. There's been quizzes. There have been pop quizzes. Where, hey, he did the reading before class. That's great. He did a good job in this game. He showed up for that game. But overall, Kendall Bryles has been abysmal at play calling. You think about some of those plays that were run on Saturday. When TCU needs a big chunk play, we go to the run. When TCU is in an interesting field position, like say we're on the other side of the 50, first down. We're throwing the ball. If we don't get a chunk of yards on that first down, it feels like an empty possession immediately. You have three other downs to work with, but as a TCU fan, I'm already saying, oh, well, another empty drive, another empty drive. The offense has been really bad. The offensive play calling has been really bad. Chandler Morris has not been good, and that's where we're going to get into the ugly. So a nightmare on Elma Street, which is ironic, the first weekend game of October, and TCU looks like this. Call it Nightmare on Ames Street, the way that they looked. It was a uh, bad game. Four turnovers, including two interceptions by Morris. Morris threw an interception on the first two possessions of the game, which is tough because I like to keep notes during these games, and when you're giving the ball up, I'm having to flip pages and stuff. Uh, two interceptions for Morris with two bad misses. The first one, miscommunication on the option route. He recognized the receiver had stopped. He threw the ball in the middle of the field blindly. That inexcusable. You're an older quarterback. You need to make those uh, reads the correct way. The second interception was just way behind Dylan Wright on a drag route. Just missed him, threw behind him, two bad interceptions. He never looked comfortable. He gets hurt in the third quarter, which is why this is in the ugly category. We talked about the good, the bad. The ugly category for Morris is the injury because this felt like the piano hanging over the street the entire Week, the whole, not even the week, the whole season, this has felt like the piano on the, uh, just hanging above you, just waiting to fall, right? 
just hang in there. Is Chandler Morris going to stay healthy? And it looks like the knee injury is pretty bad because he's not playing on Saturday. Josh Hoover is going to come in, the freshman quarterback, redshirt freshman, is going to start against BYU. We'll talk about that in a minute. Didn't look comfortable. Gets hurt in the third quarter. No update. Hoover comes in, goes 11 for 19, 119 yards, a touchdown, and a turnover. So, <sighs> to put the game away, because that's what you want to do. You want to just take the take the game, take the pain, put it in a box, and put it away. At 3-3 three and three this season, you look at the Colorado loss to start the year, which that loss, in all the grand scheme of things, is not going to look nearly as bad. And the grand scheme of things, it's the year of Dion. It's the year of primetime. That loss to Colorado is not as bad as we originally thought it was. I thought it was a terrible loss. I thought it might be the only loss on the schedule. Little did I know, right? The loss doesn't look that bad. But in that loss, defense doesn't tackle well. Chandler Morris throws two red zone interceptions. And it's a completely different ball game. At home, you lose to Colorado. Now, you're not going to be the only team that does that. There's going to be a bunch of teams on the schedule this year that lose to Colorado and on film the next day, the next month, the next year later, they're going to look back and say we shouldn't have lost that game. TCU should not have lost to Colorado. I said then, I say now, inexcusable loss. West Virginia last week. I don't know what was happening. There's no reason to lose to West Virginia. This West Virginia team is undefeated in conference play. There's two teams that are undefeated in conference play. West Virginia and OU. Who would have guessed that? I wouldn't have guessed it. I would have. You told me before the season that WVU was undefeated six weeks into the season in the conference. Wouldn't have believed it. I thought Neil Brown was going to be on his way out. No. Nope. We're a couple games away from bowl season for them. We're a couple games away from them securing a bowl spot. Hard to believe. Lost against West Virginia last week. Weird game. Bad game. You chalk it up to the game. You say, you know what? It's college football. Anything can happen. These kids are 19 years old. What do I know? Stuff happens. This week confirms that last week wasn't a fluke. This week confirms that last week wasn't a fluke. And then this TCU team that we all thought, that I thought, was going to be a lot better than they are, are actually, and I don't use this word lightly, they're frauds. This TCU team is a fraud. From playing in a national championship a year ago to now looking like one of the worst teams in college. One of the most disappointing teams in the Big 12. One of the most disappointing teams across the board in college football. That is where we're at with this team. That is where we're at with TCU football. So at 3-3, three and three, what you're hoping for now is maybe you play spoiler to Texas. They have one loss. A loss to, against TCU would pretty much knock them out of contention in the Big 12, which would 100% knock them out of contention on the national scene. That is something you're playing for, and a loss to or beating Oklahoma to give them a loss to blemish their record. Those are the two things that TCU's playing for at this point. And then, of course, trying to get to a better bowl game. I had them chalked up for an Alamo Bowl. I thought this would be an Alamo Bowl type of team. I didn't think they were going to win the national championship. Did not think they were going to go back to the college football playoffs. I thought they might win the Big 12. I said the Alamo Bowl is kind of where I had them pegged. And at this point, the Alamo Bowl would be a win. At this point, playing in the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio would be a win for this TCU team. Because they've been disappointing so far to this point. All right, let's move on. BYU this week. 
And I didn't want to spend this much time on Ames. I didn't want to spend this much time on Iowa State, but there's just a lot to unpack there. Because a lot of the frustrations from that game bleed into this one. First off, no Chandler Morris. So Morris clearly is injured enough. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. He's injured enough not to want to suit up, not to want to play, which makes me think that that knee injury is going to be a lingering one, which means this is time for the young guy to step up. This is means this means it's time to see what Josh Hoover has. Six foot one, nine hundred ninety five pound redshirt freshman, former three star recruit from Heath, Texas. Now I thought this was interesting. He'd only thrown three passes in twenty twenty three before he played on Saturday, and on those first two possessions, he fumbled on the first time he touched the ball, and his second pass was intercepted. Not exactly the most uh, confidence-inspiring if you're a TCU fan. But once he settled down, once he got things going, he did look a lot better. He was able to drive, get one successful drive off. Am I going to put all my chickens in this basket? No. Am I going to say to you at the end of the year that TCU's record is the way that it looks, 7-5, and 6-6, six and six, because Chandler Morris got hurt? No, I'm going to tell you that this was a 6-6 six and six, Seven and five team before he got hurt, and if Hoover plays as well as I think he's going to play, which honestly, from what I saw on Saturday, if that is the worst he plays, which I think is a believable thing, I think that the first time that you suit up, the first time you get actual college football action for a new team, I think that's the worst he's going to look. My hope is that every time we see him, he gets a little bit better, incrementally better. If that's the worst he plays, I think this is a 6-6 six and six team. I think he can win three games. I look at the rest of the schedule. I think this is a winnable game against BYU. I think Cincinnati's a winnable game. You know, I look I look down the schedule and I say, okay, I think that there's two, three, three more wins, four more wins on the schedule for TCU. That's doable. That's a doable thing. We can do that. We can make that happen. Uh, BYU's defense, middle of the road in the Big 12. Now, that's to say... Middle of the road in the Big 12 when they're playing teams who have a starting quarterback who has played college snaps. When you have a freshman quarterback, every defense that you're going to face off is going to look okay. They're going to look pretty good. They're going to look a little bit better than they actually are because you have an unexperienced, inexperienced, younger guy under center. It's just the nature of the beast. But I look around the conference and I say, like, okay, if this guy, and I look around college football too, there, there's some young quarterbacks, freshman, redshirt freshman quarterbacks, who have looked decent. They've looked decent. They look solid. And I think most of it is just guys who are ballers, who are just natural-born winners. They're leaders. They know the reads. They've paid attention in class. they paid attention in the film room and during quarterback sessions. They know what to make the right reads. There's part. I think it's part of that. I'd say the majority of it is that. Part of it's also, guys don't have film on you. You know, maybe maybe defensive coordinators don't take their job as seriously because it's a younger, inexperienced quarterback calling the plays. There's part of that maybe too. So I'm hoping that BYU's defense does take a step off. It will be, and this is for the TCU fans who listen to the podcast that go to the games because I know a lot of you listen to the podcast all around and you're not able to go to the games. I'm not able to go to the games. A lot of people who are who listen, and if you have somebody who listens that goes to the games, Tell them to show up because BYU historically has done a great job of filling up the stadiums. Filling up stadiums not only in TCU, but
but also in Waco, but also in Austin, but also in Lubbock. They travel very well. There's a ton of Latter-day Saints all over Texas, and they do a pretty good job of supporting BYU whenever a Cougar team is in town, whether it be basketball, football, baseball. I can tell you from experience, they will show up in droves. And if you get the same show out you had against WVU, where a 50,000-person stadium, 43,000 show up, going to be a lot of gray, (laughs) going to be a lot of BYU fans, a lot of Cougar fans in attendance if you're not careful. Um, Other thing, and this is the last thing I want to talk about BYU because I think they're an interesting team with a win against us. Cincinnati, they're the only team who has won a game from the new teams that have moved in. They're the only team with a conference win so far is BYU. Uh, Kendon Slovis. Slovis, who played his last year at uh, Pitt, who beat WVU, that's how I remembered him, with JT Daniels on the other side of the, uh, the field, playing for WVU. Slovis, he started his career at USC. He was supposed to be a five-star recruit. He's now bounced around. The new college football is looking at different rosters, being like, oh, I remember him and him and him when they played at three other teams, two, three other schools before. Ten touchdowns, three interceptions this season. He had two touchdowns in the win against Cincinnati. That game, though, was on September 29th, so they haven't played in a couple days. Haven't played in a week-ish, two weeks. So you hope that there's a little bit of rust there, um, but Slovis is a baller, man. This is a kid that <laughs> he's he's doing good at BYU, but this is a guy that when the lights are on, he, he plays, I, I think that he plays very well. In fact, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I know he plays very well when the lights are bright. So he comes, he comes to Fort Worth. If TCU plays the way they've played in the last two weeks, this is going to be a loss. If TCU shows up, if the TCU that showed up against WVU and the TCU that played against uh, Iowa State plays against BYU, don't even come to class. Don't come to class. Don't come to the game because it's not going to be pretty. BYU is going to win this game. Now, these two teams go back to the Mountain West days. There's rivalry here. There is something to be said for pride, and there's something to be said for all that type of stuff. And I, I think that there's a, a portion of that in the minds of some of these guys. But for us fans, it plays a bigger part, I think. For the fans who have watched TC play in the Mountain West and play those first couple years in the Big 12, this game matters a lot more than a kid that's 19, 20 years old who doesn't remember the Rose Bowl, <laughs> okay? just It's a fact. It's true. Uh, so yeah, I'm going. I'm going TCU. I'm going to keep running with uh, the Horn Frogs here. I'm going to say TCU wins. I'm going to say that Hoover plays a, a solid game, but Imani Bailey is really the the player to watch. Funny enough, none of the none of the wide receivers have it really impressed me. PJ Richardson has looked good in stretches, but I hey he hasn't really impressed me. There's nobody on this roster offensively outside of Bailey again that I'm looking at as like yeah he can play at the next level, which is saying something. That means Kendall Bryles is not utilizing the talent that we have because I think that there are dudes on this roster who have just not been unlocked and it's on the play calling. So if, if the play calling gets better, the defense continues to stay up, step, step up. Bailey plays as well as he's been playing a hundred, another hundred yard rushing game. Wouldn't be too bad. Wouldn't be too shabby for him. Then TC wins. But if you know, TC shows up like they did against Ames, it's, it's game over. It's over. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the Hypnotoad podcast on the Harlan college sports Podcast Network. Be sure you can win a free koozie by sending a rating review on Apple Podcast to Pete Mundo. Uh, it's Pete M U N D O at HarlanCollegeSports.com. 
can win a free koozie. And then, of course, subscribe, rate, review the podcast wherever you get the Hypnotoad podcast. We do a pretty good job, I think, over here, uh, especially after wins, after losses. It's tough. Basketball season right around the corner. I'm jazzed for uh, men's and women's hoops. That's going to kick off in a couple of uh, couple weeks, so that'll be a lot of fun, too. Thank you guys for listening, and we will be back next week with a big win over BYU. Fingers crossed, at least.